0: The payoff of persistence, the keep on keeping on, the train that says, I think I can, I think I can. How in the world do you define persistence? Well, I guess when anyone looks at my wife, they can see I, like many men in here, we outpunted our coverage. You know what that means? That means that uh, the person that decided to marry us is far better looking and far greater than we deserve. And how do you get a woman like that? Persistence. Bug them to death until they say yes, right? No, persistence is is something that we value. It's a leadership trait. But I think too many times uh, in the the run in life and and in our spiritual life, persistence is a lost art. For some of you that have got some years on you that have really went through tough times, you know what persistence is. Some of us that have had a lot of stuff given to us, uh, we think we know what it is. But persistence is that constant drive To keep going. And to keep that kind of pace uh, is a task in itself. But as we pick up in Luke chapter 18, we'll finish it. A couple weeks ago I did a message on the previous chapter talking about the coming judgment in God's kingdom. And today we're going to be looking at, as Jesus was teaching his disciples about the coming kingdom, he also follows that up with telling them to be persistent. So church, I want you to understand as I preach this message this is just not a a good special feeling leadership type message where it says be persistent and you can achieve whatever you want. That's not the context of this. Jesus has just told the disciples that His kingdom is coming. He has just told the disciples that those who do not accept Jesus Christ and do not turn from their sin will be taken away In their sin, much like those uh, during the flood were taken away by the waters. They were taken away by the sin. And folks, in our world today, uh, there is no doubt that sin and the lack of of fear of God's judgment is alive and well. But in today's passage, we see that Jesus is giving them a dose of tough love. Uh, Few will find faith in God, while others will be carried away. By their sins, thus bringing judgment upon themselves. And Jesus knew that the days would grow darker. Folks, I want you to understand. I know that when I talk with you folks, and whether it be one on one or as a group, we can sit down over, you know, food or just sit down and talk. We can talk about how bad the world is, and how, how worse, how much worse it's getting than when someone was growing up younger. But folks, Jesus is not surprised about the condition the world is in. And it is far better than it was during the days of Noah. And I think that the more we as Christians and the more we as church magnify the problems of the world, the problem with that thinking is, at least in our minds, our world becomes bigger than our God. Jesus is telling them to not do that. To be persistent. Well, persistent about what? Jesus never gave... Any indication to the disciples, and he never gave any indication to us in his word. And if I've ever preached this, I need to repent of this. If anybody's ever told you that living the Christian life and following Jesus is easy, they lied to you. It is the hardest thing you will ever do. It reminds me of the old illustration that I used for years in youth ministry, where this little girl is walking down the hall of her school carrying a Bible, and this big jock comes up to her and makes fun of her saying, why are you carrying that Bible? It's just a crutch, you don't need it. And, and bullying her and all that kind of stuff. And that little girl, she just sat there for a minute, looked at that jock and said, okay, you carry it. The world wants to intimidate us. The world wants to tell us that the Bible is not relevant. Wants to tell us that it's fine that we have church, but keep it in the church. But Jesus is telling us to be persistent, to not give up. And he did not tell the disciples that their road would be easy. As a matter of fact, he says in Luke 9.23 that we are to take up his cross weekly on Sunday mornings and follow him, right? Oh, no. We are to pick up our cross daily and follow him. You know what... The when, when, To the Romans, when they saw a man like Jesus or any criminal carrying their cross to be crucified, you know what that was known as? The mark of a dead man. That was dead man walking. Someone carrying their cross. And if we as Christians are to take up our cross daily and follow Him, that means that the world should see that we are dying to ourselves and living to serve God. That means sometimes we're not going to have it our way. It's not going to be like Burger King. Some days you're going to have to take the pickle off instead of telling them not to put it on there. And I know that will be terrible for you. But sometimes I'm being facetious, but the truth is we don't always get it our way. Many of you have been an inspiration to me because I see in your lives that the the truth to life is you play the hands you're dealt. Amen? And whether we like it or not, God is the dealer. God is sovereign. But Jesus was saying here that every day we must fight the urge to live for ourselves and our selfish desires for a much more meaningful life of living for Him, obeying Him, and loving Him. But folks, when it comes to persistence and the payoff of persistence, I want you to know one thing. Our task is overwhelming. To be persistent in today's world this is overwhelming why is it I'm going to give you three reasons The first reason is we have lost true north We have lost true north It says in Proverbs 29:18 that without revelation people run wild Another version of translation of this it says without vision the people perish Now I've heard that verse used many times in leadership courses of where you need to have a vision for your organization and then that spreads to all the people. And I can make that, that, that connection with the Scripture. But what is the Scripture really saying? It is saying where people have lost the vision, where people have lost a regard for the revelation of God's Word, where they have, they have decided that this is not enough. People perish. And the more our world decides to relegate this as a history book, in something that is outdated and full of errors, as long as they seek to do this, we will perish. It will not get better. We can sit around and we can complain about it, and we can post about it on Facebook and all those other kind of things, but at the end of the day, if we disregard God's Word, we are going to live in a land like we live today where there's no true north. Imagine you're lost in the woods and you pull out your compass and it can't find north. At that point, you're lost, aren't you? God's Word is true north, but we have lost the vision of that. The second thing that we have to deal with is that we live in a new age of enlightenment. Some would say that we are at the new age. Others would say that this is the beginning of the end. But you know what? This is not new to the biblical heroes of our lives. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul knew that these days would come when he was mentoring a young preacher named Timothy. This guy was like a son to him. And he tells him these words in 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves. In other words, they're going to get a bunch of people to say what they want to hear, is what they saying. And he says, because they have an itch to hear something new, they will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Folks, we act like this is all new. This happened during Paul's days. This happened during the days when you were growing up. It just wasn't out there for everybody to see. We have lost all sense of shame. We have I mean, there is no... Uh, evil that is not even trying to look good anymore. It's just blatant evil. And we live in a world to where now, if you have biblical values, you're seen as intolerant, you are a bigot, and you have hatred in your heart. Because the new way is love everybody. And everything's going to be okay. Well, Loving somebody is fine. And it's okay if you have rights. As long as your rights don't affect the rights of other people. I know I'm preaching to the choir. Y'all know this. But I'm just saying, we live in a day to where there is a new age of enlightenment. To where those that believe in Christ, those that believe in biblical inerrancy, those that believe in what the Bible says is true are seen as the old outdated way of thinking. We have have progressed to a new age of enlightenment. Well, that's the world we live in, and you know that. Then the other thing that we can do something about is that we need to rid entitlement from our lives. Entitlement. Let's be honest. Come on. Have you ever said this? Well, God, I've been a Christian for so long, I think I deserve this. Or, or God, you know, I've been a church member here for so long, and and, you know, I deserve to have my name put on this pew. If not, at least put my own pillow there so nobody will sit there. I'm entitled to this. You know, God, I've served you for this. Why are you doing this to me? God, I love you. Why did you take this person from me? God, I love you and I've done all this for you, but why is this happening? And and we say we it's like we have some kind of of, of balance sheet of what we've done for God versus what He's done for us, and they're supposed to match up somehow. Folks, we are entitled to nothing. Nothing. It says here that and, and where does this entitlement come from? Years ago, there was a big movement for self-esteem. remember where where I know in the school systems everybody was talking about the self-esteem of the children, and that way when you have a you know, listen, I had Field Day, I understand that, and I was not I was a portly little kid. I wore my rough skins. You remember rough skins? I hated those things. Anyway, they were, they were jeans for fat kids. That's what they were, and so so I'd have to wear those. But I would do I would do the races, and and I would not win a lot of races. But the ones that I did win, I was proud of it. I learned that if I want to win races, I got to practice. I learned if I wanted to excel at football, I needed to work out. I learned if I wanted to get stronger, that I had to lift heavier weights. I learned that by failure, I can get stronger. Until self-esteem came along and said, everybody's a winner. Everybody gets a trophy. Now listen, if if you're part of that and you feel like a part of that, hey, that's fine, but I want want you to understand what is brought up. It has brought up a generation that feels like everyone should get a ribbon. And they don't. And that that sense of entitlement has crept over into the church. And when I think of entitlement, listen, I'm not telling you as someone who has mastered this. When I was in my 40s, uh, well, I'm still in my 40s, but in my, when I first turned 40, I was consumed with myself. What am I going to do at this point in my life? I'm 40 years old and I've done this. Some of you men have been through there, have been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, got your hot rod car and all that kind of stuff. You went through that crisis. Thank you. And if you've got any words of wisdom for me, just let me know. But I was going through this whole entitlement phase until God basically slapped me in the face. And He has showed me this passage. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 just for a moment. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 talks about Christ's humility in his exaltation. And it says, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Mm, That hurts. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. And in verse 7, this is a kicker. It says, Instead, he emptied himself. He emptied Himself. Let me say that one more time. He emptied Himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men, and when He had come as a man in His external form. He humbled Himself. I'll say that again. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is for this reason that God highly exalted Him and gave Him the name that is above every name, that every knee will bow, and of those here on earth and in heaven and under the earth, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. He emptied Himself. What entitlement does is it fills us full of ourselves. And if you wonder why you're not close with God, and if you wonder why your relationship with God is strained, I would be willing to bet you're full of yourself and not emptied. If we want God in our lives, we have to empty ourselves. Amen? And the minute we start putting our own wills and our own actions, there's nothing wrong with having dreams and desires and hopes. God gives us those, and we need to give them to Him, but we have to fulfill them within God's time and God's way. The reason the world is in the mess it is today is because we had decided to deify ourselves over God. What does that mean? That means that we are our own God. And what we see now is we see people that their worldview is, I'm in it for me and my cause, and if you don't agree with that, Get out of my way. But this is not the first time this has happened. Well, I think I've established that our our task for being persistent is overwhelming. I mean, if we didn't have a big uh, battle to fight, what would be the need to be persistent, right? Well, we see here that as we go into our text for this morning, in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, we see that a persistent faith, Praise continually. Now, I would go ahead and suggest that if you are driving down the road in an attitude of prayer, you don't close your eyes. Okay? We're going to talk about what it means to pray continually in just a moment. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) In verses 1 through 5, he says, He then told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and what? Not become discouraged. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect man. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Why did he use the term widow in his parable? It's because widows were seen as helpless and needed to be taken care of by uh, the religious institution and by those that say that they were Christians. Verse 4, he says, For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. In other words, he was saying, I will do, listen, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that, that God's word is true. But this woman will not leave my door alone. So I will help her if she will just go away. That is the parable that Jesus is teaching us. And we see, as we look in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul talks about praying continually. And he says, Rejoice sometimes. I'm sorry, it didn't say that. It says, Rejoice always. Even when you get that grade back that you studied for and you didn't make the grade you wanted. Even when that doctor's report comes back, it doesn't say what you wanted it to say. Even though you look in your wallet, and it's not as full as it used to be. When you like Charlie Brown, you go to the mailbox expecting a check, and you open the mailbox, and you go, Hello in there. And there's an echo. Some of you are like, Preacher, what are you talking about? I'm sorry. I like peanuts. Charlie Brown, Snoopy, they're the best. But anyway, we need to pray constantly. Rejoice, const- Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Giving thanks and everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So that means when something good happens, you give thanks to God for it. But also, when you get those things in life to come that that you have to struggle with, He says to give thanks for those as well. But getting back to our parable here, our prayer life should be dictated by our faith in God, not our circumstances. Prayer always allows us to see our problems from God's perspective rather than our own. If you are drowning in your problems... Get perspective. How do you do that? Pray. Charles Stanley said it best. He said, If you are in a a poor me frame of mind and you are focused on what you don't have, spend a few moments praising God for who He is, and you will not be able to stay in that state. Why? Because when we pray, we get God's perspective over our own. And also, Prayer helps us to love our enemies. Prayer helps us to see others as God sees them. And praying for others gets our emphasis off ourselves. Folks, listen, I understand. We take prayer requests in just about every service we do. We have a prayer meeting on every other Monday night. We have Wednesday night prayer group. And we have list that is that is full of people that need prayer. But that's no replacement for our personal prayer time. And we see that persistent praying means having an attitude of persistent prayer. What does it mean to pray persistently? Well, two things. Number one, persistent prayer is not circumstantial. Folks, whether we have good days or bad days, we are to pray. We need to have the confidence that God is with us and the courage to obey His will even when it is not easy. Because, folks, God is not bound by our expectations. If God is small in your life, it's not God's fault. It's your understanding. It's your lack of obedience. It's you wanting to live your life, your way, being full of yourself. That's what's retarding. That is what is restricting your walk with God, is your own selfish desires. God is not bound by our expectations. Or even our time requirements. How many times have I heard people say, Well, I've been praying this and I'm just waiting for it to happen. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it is a, a personal situation that you're going through. And you say, Well, I've prayed about a preacher, but God had not done anything about it yet. Folks, he says yes, no, or wait. And sometimes waiting is the hardest part. But folks, we only want God to answer our prayers in his time, in his way. So not only do we need to not be circumstantial, it is a combination. Listen, having an attitude of prayer means that as you go through the day, maybe you have a scripture memory verse, or maybe you have just a saying, maybe there's something that when you know, that, that, that gnawing little pest of a request, or that, 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 that little thing that just keeps in the back of your head, just kind of won't let go of you. The little thought. That little, oh, I, I, that person, ooh, mm, or that situation, it's just driving me crazy. When that gets in your brain, having an attitude of prayer and praying continually means as soon as that comes into your thought, you say, I bind you in Jesus Christ. God, help me with that thought. God, it's coming back into my mind again. Let's get rid of it. That is being in a continual mode of prayer. But there is no substitute, it's a combination. Not only that, being in an attitude of prayer, but also having a dedicated, structured prayer time to where you are on your knees seeking God. We have a lot of people in America that say that they are praying. We have a lot of people in this church that are praying. Where is the results? If we're going to be a church of prayer, it's more than just praying for somebody that's having a doctor visit. If we're a church of prayer, Wednesday night is going to be filled with people wanting to pray. If we're going to be a church of prayer where we have a prayer meeting every other Monday night, we're not going to have to beg people to show up. We can say that we are a church that loves others, and we are. Listen, I love you guys, and I'm not wanting to beat up on you, I'm being up on myself. But, but we say we are a church of love and prayer. And if someone comes in our doors, they will see it. But if they don't come in our doors, they're out of luck. If we are a church of prayer, let's get on our knees and pray. We need to pray for the sick. We need to pray for the elderly. We need to pray for the shut-in. But we have to pray for the lost. We have to pray for the opportunity. We have to pray for our community. We have to pray for our government. If not, it's just lip service. It will be like every other church on the corner. If we are a church of prayer, let's see it. Persistence also brings hope. Verses 6-8 through puts it this way. He says, Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to His elect who cry out to Him day and night? Will he delay to help them? I tell you that he swiftly will grant justice to them. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will find will he find that faith on earth? That is a telling question there. What we see here is that God is much more than just an unjust judge. That's Jesus used the unjust judge in this parable to contrast who God is. It talks in here about is God not going to look out for His elect? That means the chosen people of Israel, those that are called by His name? Of course God is going to take care of those people. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. If you are beaten up today, if you feel like that our world is defeated, if you feel like we need to close the doors and go home, look up! Our hope comes from the Lord. We are not defeated. We are fighting from a position of victory. And how do we fight? We fight through love. We fight. Through, if we love somebody, we are going to share the gospel with somebody. We are going to know how Christ saved us, and we are going to share that with somebody else. Because we also see in this passage, Jesus is returning, and He is going to evaluate our faith. What that question says in verse 8 is basically saying, this is, Jesus has taught them this is the kind of persistent faith I want you to have, but when I return, that type of faith is going to be rare. That's what this is saying. But what about those who don't know Jesus Christ? Like the ungodly judge, many unsaved see the persistent prayers of others as bothersome and draining. The ungodly, they don't care about God working. They just want believers to be quiet. And the ungodly, they do not know the value of being able to talk to God, our very Creator. I close with this. I'm going to give you the payoffs of persistence. If you want to take notes or just read it, it's fine. But if you are persistent in your faith, these are some things that will happen. Number one, persistence gives evidence of your faith in God. Persistence gives evidence of your faith in God. When I see the faith of many of you in the things that you go through, that you're still here, you're still praying, you're still functioning, that persistence shows your faith in God. People say, well, yeah, you know, a lot of churches like Homeland Park, there's a lot of senior adults in there. Like, the, you can discount that, or, oh, that doesn't matter.
1: You know what I see
0: when I see gray heads? Persistence. Something that my generation has lost. Persistence gives evidence of your faith in God. Persistence builds your faith in God. Persistence is pestering to those without faith in God. Persistence brings growth. And persistence builds character. Oh, dear church... Be persistent in your faith. Be persistent in your prayer life. Don't stop praying. Because as I said earlier, folks, we shouldn't have to beg people to come to prayer meetings. Our altar should be filled with people that are praying for their friends, praying for their family, praying for the lost. And we must continually recognize our need for Jesus. So here's the invitation this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you've given up the fight, and you want to know Him as your Savior and Lord, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But the altar call this morning is clear as a bell. God told me this, and you take it for what it's worth. But our altar call today is for you to get out of your pews to come forward and pray this morning. If you can physically get out of your pew and come up here, you can stand You can kneel. You can sit. If you can get up, I want you to come to the altar right now. Stand up. Get up. and We are going to pray. If you cannot physically do it, I understand that. That's fine. You stay right where you're at. But if you can possibly come forward, I want you to come to this altar and let's pray this morning.